Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today is our second Sunday gathering together again after coronavirus, but we're still gathering outside of the church. After 13 weeks of quarantine, we are returning back again to the series that we began the year with, entitled The Final Generation. Today's message is focusing on what we pass on to our children, and I will offer three sequential principles from our passage in the book of Proverbs that will help to equip us to invest our faith in our children's lives by owning it ourselves and having regular access to it, and then faithfully and regularly integrating our faith through every aspect of our lives. Thanks for listening. Whether you know it or not, you are passing down values and traits and genetics to your children. There is a... uh, a way in which this happens both intentionally and unintentionally. Um, one trait that I did not receive from my parents was the um, knowledge of how to play the guitar. Now, uh, we had a guitar, uh, but the, it was we kept it up in the attic, the, the dusty attic. So we had one, but I, uh, I, I never learned how to play it, very ever rarely saw it out. And so it was a trait that did not get passed down because uh, even though we had one, we didn't really have access to it, never really used it at all. This passing down of traits is something that is seen most obviously within, honestly, biology. So the traits that you would pass down to your children are uh, called genes. Um, There's a really famous atheist, Richard Dawkins, who is uh, kind of an expert in biology. And in in studying biology, he noticed there's another thing that you can find as a trait handed down between a a parent to offspring. And this found within the animal kingdom uh, is something that is non-physical. It's not a gene, it's a value, or it's an action, or it's a behavior, or it's a trait. And uh, he coined a a term, uh, mimeme, for that, which got shortened to the word meme. Do you guys know what a meme is? If, you've, if you have an internet connection at your house, you probably have seen a meme. Um, they have really been co-opted by the culture around us to be funny pictures of cats, pretty much is basically what you'll find for memes. Um, but the, the reason of definition behind it was it was trying to show the passing on of something that's non-physical. However, memes, even like genes, are not alive within you. But your faith is something that creates life within you. We were in and we are still in a series that I have entitled The Final Generation. And I will preach this as long as the Lord lets me. Because one of the greatest concerns that you and I need to have is for the expansion and preservation of the health of God's church on earth. We live in a day and age, though, where that is something that is taken for granted or overlooked. And so we, as those who right now carry the deposit of faith, we must take with utmost seriousness the task that has been offered to us of passing down that faith to our children, passing down those values. And I I need to tell you. If, you're, if you want to make it such that, the, that your children will not go to church, do you, do you know what you need to do? Go to church. 
If all you do is go to church, I, I would be, if I was a betting man, I'd be willing to bet more than anything your kids won't. Because if that's all it is for you, if, if the faith that has been entrusted to the saints is only ever a place that you attend for one hour, one day a week, and that's the utmost of devotion for commitment in your life to Jesus, you will produce a new generation who will say that was my parents' tradition, that will not be my tradition. So if you don't want your kids to ever go to church, all you need to do is go to church and leave it there and never let that integrate into the rest of your life. So the converse is also true. If you want your kids to be active and participating in the body of Christ, then you must do more than just attend church. And so what I'd like us to do today, the message that I've entitled appropriation, appropriation is a term that means to make your own, to claim as your own. Um, That's the theme that I want us to look at as we open up God's word. And um, as we walk through uh, just a, a few short verses in the book of Proverbs, Um, What we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit, in leading the writer, is going to answer three questions. A what question. So this this will be great if anyone here is wondering, what do do I need to do if I want my kids to um, pass uh, pass the faith on properly? What do I need to do? That's the first question that they're going to answer. The second question is a how, how do I do it? And then the third question is, the result or why this is so important. So you guys tracking with me? We're going to like three questions, a what, a how, and a why. Um, I have got sermon notes for you uh, in your bulletin. I encourage you, if you can, that'll help give some structure behind where we're going to head for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let me encourage you to open them to the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> we're going to be in the third chapter, Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. They will not be new to you. You will be familiar with these verses. But we're going to look at them in a, uh, a depth and in, a, in a, uh, a focus that helps us to understand this actionable way that we can pass faith on to our kids. You guys with me? Give me an amen if, if you're with me. i got to know you're here. Okay. Not a single horn. There we go. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Okay. The, the, the first category that we're going to see comes in verses 1 and in verses 2. And if you're following along with your sermon notes, I'm, in, I'm entitling this ownership. 
How, how do I pass my faith on to my kids? It begins with ownership. Now, I want to make sure you guys, that we all understand there's a difference between possession and ownership. Are you, you, you can have something and not even know you had it. Um, does anybody have one of those drawers in their kitchen that's just filled with everything that doesn't have a place for anything else? Like an like a everything drawer, we call it? Yeah. I was going through that the other day, and one of my kids found something and asked if they could use it, and I didn't even know I owned it. <laughs> I, I had it, right? It, it was in our possession, but I didn't have ownership over it. Ownership is the idea that it belongs to me. I, I, I'm laying a claim over this. And so to begin with, to the parents, to the grandparents, to the aunts and the uncles that want to see that next generation come up in the faith, it starts by you making the faith yours. You have to own it. You have to make this a component of my identity. So look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, My son, do not forget who's teaching. This is my teaching. right? This is a father speaking to a son. Notice the father doesn't say, Hey, my son, don't forget the pastor's teaching. Because that's external. That may be possession, but it's not ownership. He doesn't say, don't forget even God's teaching. I don't know if that strikes you as a little bit. Huh. Yeah. The, the command is one of ownership for the parent. These are my teachings. Not as though they originated with you. They originate with God. They originate with the faith. But you so embrace them that it's not even possible. In fact, it's indistinguishable on your behalf to tell whether those are yours or God's because you own them. Does everybody get where this begins? It starts with ownership. If you look uh, a little bit further, you'll see the how. That's so, so the what is, don't forget my teaching. That's the what. The how comes next. Verse 1. Keep my commands in your heart. He doesn't say keep them in your mind. He doesn't say keep them in a journal. He says keep them at the seat of your identity. Now, I don't know if you can remember last Sunday I talked to the graduates and one of the main things that I said was there's a, there's a false kind of uh, social colloquialism that says you are what you eat. And I said, that's not really true. You are, do you remember? It's a quiz time. You are what you, no one took notes. You are what you worship. You are what you worship. Now, if I talked about Lions fans, you'd all remember from last Sunday night, right? So you you are what you worship. Well, you worship what you love. Are you tracking with me, you guys, right? You are what you worship and you worship what you love. And that is a picture. It's used as a metaphor here for your heart. God says if you're going to truly have ownership and not forget his commands, the how of doing that is you learn to love God's commands. You must love them. Uh, There's a passage in the Old Testament that the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes in speaking of the church. He says in uh, chapter 10, verse 16, This is the covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts. Is that you today? This is a good question to ask. How, How much am I really pursuing God's law because I love God? Now, this is not in my notes, but I'm, I, 
I gotta preach for a minute, is that okay? Oh, we're outdoors. Too bad you look comfortable. Here we go. We need to be careful how much we conceive of heaven in terms of mansions. Or honestly, and I gotta be careful with this, in terms of lost loved ones. As, as, as much as we know that's where they are, they are with the Lord. Jesus says that e- eternal life is knowing Him. That is eternal life. And here's what I want you to know. If you don't have a love for Jesus as the number one thing that you are living and looking forward to, you might get to heaven and think, huh, I don't know if I like what I see. Because you have been building up in your heart maybe a very American concept of Christianity that has more to do with a mansion than it has to do with the person of Jesus. But instead, if what you really long for is Jesus, to know Jesus, like Paul says to the Philippians, then you will get to heaven and you will have all that you long for satisfied. All right, that's my that's my little aside. You guys get that, right? That we need to, as we conceive of what comes after this life, you need to make sure knowing Jesus is number one because you have a love for him. So that is the how you will keep from forgetting the commands because you store them where? Store them in your heart. All right, so why? What's the benefit of this? Look with me at verse two. The benefit is they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Prosperity here needs to be calibrated according to God's riches, not the world's riches. And I could go off on a tangent dealing with how our world idolizes money and income and has made the inequality of money and income something that they've applied to race. And I'm just going to avoid that for this morning. But it's not about money. Riches ought not be seen as that which we're longing for because the prosperity that God can bring you is things money can never buy. Can you buy peace? I went to Walmart the other day and they ran completely out of peace. Did you know that? The whole shelf was empty. Talked to the stock guy and he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So I had to find someone else. You can't buy peace. You can't buy hope. You cannot buy the true riches that God will apply unto your heart when you store his commands in your heart. They will give you long years and they will bring you a kind of prosperity that money cannot buy. All right, that's the first one. Has everything to do with ownership. Everybody ready to move on the second, second stage here? The second one is what I am calling access. Okay, having access to it. Uh, starts in verse 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Now, the idea isn't that they're external to you and that you're looking for them. The idea is that they're components of your character. You are somebody who has both love and faithfulness. Now, listen, you have to have both. Do you know what you call love without faithfulness? It's called greed. Somebody who who is not faithful, but they just want more and more for them because they love it, right? Love without faithfulness is greed. Do you know what faithfulness is without love? It's imprisonment is what it is. It's, It's that loveless relationship where I'm not filing and you're not filing and we're gonna we're gonna tough this thing through. Yeah, we got faithfulness, but we don't have 
love. It's you're shackled. You're in a prison. You must have these dual characteristics. In fact, we find the two of them mentioned in the New Testament. Towards the end of uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he says, now these three remain. Do you guys know what they are? Faith, hope, and the greatest of these is? Yeah, so two of the three right here in the Old Testament are primary components that you need to have access to. They have to be in your wheelhouse of your actions and your thoughts that you and I routinely have the characteristic of love and faithfulness made evident in our lives. They are the American Express of Christianity. Don't leave home. Come on, that was a little funny, right? Don't leave home without them. Love and faithfulness need to always be there for us. So that is the what. All right, everybody get that? Don't don't let them leave you. That's the what. All right, how? How do I go about doing this? We'll take a look at the next verse. or uh, Sorry, in the center of that verse, it says, number one, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Um, I'm assuming most of us kind of understand that. You probably don't need me to get very preachy on this. Just one single metaphor that you could understand it. I think what the writer here is conceiving of could be similar to getting a tattoo. Why do you get a tattoo? Because they dared me to, that's why. Hopefully, if you get a tattoo, it's because you're so convinced that either that image or the phrase or the word or whatever it is, is so important to you that you want it with you everywhere you go. It's, it's written on you. It's, it's like a, a binding around your neck. You're, you're adorning yourself with love and faithfulness. It's written on, and this phrase is awesome, the tablet of your heart. Now, if you live back in this day, you didn't read on a Kindle or an iPad. If you wanted to read something, you read it on a tablet. And so the picture here is that what do people read when they look at your heart? Do they read frustration? Do they read, if you look at me lately, stress? Or do they read love and faithfulness? Because that's what's written on my heart. Like a tattoo that will always be with me everywhere I go. So that's the how. Everybody good on that, right? The what was, don't ever let it leave you. I always have access to it. How do I do that? I I write it on the character of my life, like a tattoo written on me. Love and faithfulness. And and the why, what's the result? Here we go, verse 4. Then you will win favor and a good name. And this is awesome right here. In the sight of God and man. Uh, You need to understand that the benefit of living according to God's commands, not only triumphantly, number one, you have the vertical relationship repaired. You guys get along with each other? Does everybody get along with everybody all the time? Your neighbors, your family members. Watch this. You know what love and faithfulness will do? If they are written on the tablet of the heart, they won't only just repair that vertical relationship. They will be the bridge by which you repair the horizontal relationship. And you will win a good name both with God and with man. That's that's the why. All right, last one. Everybody ready? I'm entitling this one use. This is where you're actually putting it into practice. This is the actionable one. I'm using it now. Starts in verse 5. The what is the first phrase. Trust in the Lord. That is so much easier to say 
than it is to do. But that is what God has been speaking to my heart in the last couple of days. That my best efforts of trying to conceive and figure it out and make sense, even within leadership, is causing me frustration. You know what I should probably do instead? Trust. Help me out, church. What should I do? I should probably do that. I should probably do that instead. Now, uh, we were given two hows of the first two that were means. So they, they were, how do you go about, what are the means by which you go about doing these things? Well, you are to, to uh, bind them, right? You're to keep them in your heart. The, the how for this one does not start with a means. It starts with a manner. I hope I haven't lost you yet. All right. Trust in the Lord. How? Not how by means. Not by what means do I trust in the Lord? But by what manner should I be trusting in the Lord? And what does it say? Trust in the Lord. How? With some of your heart? Who's, show me a Bible that says some of your heart. You're, you have the word all? You need to underline, circle that word all. This is a big one, folks. This, I believe this one alone, if this is all you remember for Sunday morning, this one alone will be the deciding factor for what happens with the next generation. If for you, trust in the Lord is just Sunday morning, that's it. I, I went to church. It was with some of my heart. You will not pass that faith on effectively to your kids. But instead, if it's with what the Bible says here, if you trust with all of your heart, now we're starting to cook with oil, to, to make it work the way it's supposed to, hit, hit on all cylinders, whatever metaphor you want to insert there. That's the design that God has. You, you know Jesus' words? The guy comes to him, he says, hey, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? He says, well, you, you know the law. You know what it says? Love the Lord your God with some of your heart and some of your mind and some of... What's it say? Shout it out. What's it say? All. all. With all your... And that's not a means. That's a manner. Okay? So as you're filling in the blank there for the how, you might make note of that, that the way in which we are to trust is with all our heart. And then the very next line is super important and conjunction, lean not on your own understanding. If you want to screw up trusting with all, well, try to lean on your own at the same time. You're going to mess it up every day of the week. Uh, we, my, my kids and I went to uh, Great Wolf Lodge a while ago. And uh, you guys know what a Great Wolf Lodge is? It's like an indoor water park hotel. Kids love it. It's awesome. And uh, they have this one wave area that you can surf or you can like body surf on. And so the, the, the water comes like at a jet, like gushing at you and you get on this board and you can like with gravity, like you're surfing. It's pretty, pretty great. If, if you want to ruin it and almost sprain your arm like me, you know what you do is you only put half of your weight on at one time because the thing will fly out from your hands and you'll go spinning around and you're almost lose your shorts doing that and everyone will <laughs> laugh at you. But if you want to do it right, you have to commit you, you have to yield your security to really give in. And you know what? The, the thing's designed to take over, and, and it'll work great, and you'll have an awesome time. But if you're trying to do both at the same time, you will fail at both. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean for support on your own understanding. 
Here's the why. Verse 6. Oh, I'm sorry, in, in one more of the how. In all your ways, another big all there, circle that one too. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. One last metaphor before I get to application on this. Uh, our, our neighbor's got this puppy. Now when I say puppy, all of you think, oh, a little cute puppy. That's not what I mean. I'm talking big old dog, puppy. And if you ever have had a big dog that's a puppy, you know that dog's a little hard to control. And I was watching our neighbor walk this dog. I'm seeing uh, the Kuzak smile over here because they know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you're going to walk a, a big dog, <laughs> this, this poor gal, she's zigzagging all across the street because this dog smells it. He's going this way and he's going that way and she's zigzagging all over the place. Is that a straight path? Or is that one that's just filled with all kinds of ups and downs? And listen, if you find in your life you're zigzagging, your path has all kinds of ups and downs, might I suggest the symptom is that you're not acknowledging God in all your ways, that you actually are trying to lean on your own understanding and that you're not trusting him with all your heart? Because the promise here is he will make your path what? Straight. And so if you have a dog who, who is obedient, who is more mature, that, that actually obeys the master, and you put that dog on a leash, and that dog is obeying the master, what does that walk look like? What's that path look like? A straight walk. And everything goes good for the dog, unlike my dog who's going, okay, great, because come on, you got to stay on the right path. Everybody get the metaphor, right? Because the promise here is God will make your path straight. So what do we do with this? Let me wrap it up. Two points of application, just two. Ready? Integrate your faith. Integrate your faith. Do not allow your devotion to God to be left for one hour on a Sunday morning. One hour and 45 minutes on a Sunday morning. Don't, do not allow that to be the case of your life. Integrate your faith into every aspect of your life. I want to ask you just a couple of diagnostic questions for you to maybe give some evaluation. What if I asked you this? Is there enough evidence in your home to convict you of being a Christian? If Christianity was outlawed and the government busted down the door and they're looking around, is there enough evidence in your house that they could even identify you're a Christian or not? Has it been integrated into the physical layout of your life and your possessions? How about this one? How do you feel when you miss church? That was Sunday? I didn't even know that was Sunday. <laughs> how, how do you feel? Is there in your, is there in, in your spirit a feeling of loss? Do, do you not, uh, by the way, I just need to point out, I'm not speaking obligatory. Don't feel like going to church is checking some kind of box that makes God happy. But coming to church ought to be that celebration where your faith is grown and renewed. And if it's not, you're doing it wrong. So how do you feel if you miss a Sunday? Is there any sense of loss? How about this one? If someone were to ask you, why do you hope in Christ? Do you have an answer? Even if maybe you don't have that answer fully formed, do you have access to that answer? The last one I got for you. This is a good one, by the way. You ready? Is it a challenge for you to live the Christian life? Is it a challenge? 
if it's not a challenge, I think you're doing it wrong. Because the Bible is very clear, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. And so, because of that, if you're if to live the Christian life is just super easy, you might remember I said uh, last week to the graduates that um, the place where you're not a Christian is around other Christians, because who, who can tell? Nobody can even tell. It's when you go out into the world, are you still living like a Christian, yes or no? Can anyone tell when you go out in the world? And so that's my question. Is it a challenge for you to live the Christian life? And if you say, yes, I am daily dependent on God and his strength in order to be obedient to his commands. And I'm continually trusting him and not relying on my own strength. You're doing it right. That's what this is supposed to feel like. That's why we need each other. That's why we gather together. That's why we remind each other of God's love. But if being a Christian for you is like, oh yeah, no problem. You might be doing it wrong because you haven't actually integrated it to the point where it costs you anything in this life. So, first, integrate your faith. Are we good on that? Give me an amen if you're good on that. All right. Number two, focus on your heart and focus on your child's heart. Did you notice the repetition in our passage? I'm not, I'm not sure if you caught this. I just want to bring it out to you. When he says, keep my, uh, keep my commands, he, he says, by doing what? Storing them where? In your heart. When he says, let love and faithfulness never leave you, he says, by writing them on the tablet of your what? Of your heart. And then when he says, trust in the Lord, he says, trust in the Lord with all your so what do you think the main place we got to give attention to is? It's got to look at our heart. And, and for many of us as adults, we're good at that. Here's the challenge. Become aware and watchful of your children's hearts. Never has there been greater temptation for young people to find satisfaction in the things of this world than there is in today's world. So parents, watch with great care the things that your child begins to draw affection towards because that will be the seat of their identity. It will be their heart. Give attention to your heart. Start there. And then please pay close attention to your child's heart. Don't leave... Hear me now. Wrapping up. Don't leave your faith up in a dusty attic where it's collecting dust. You need to have ownership over it. You need to have access to it. And you need to use it. Amen? Let's pray.